Welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. This podcast started with me just kind of interviewing my friends, and now we're at a point where I'm interviewing people who inspire me. Every week you are going to hear how someone else identifies with the feeling of not fitting in and success. So let's just hop into the episode and thank you for all of your continued support. Are you going to be visiting Florida in the next few weeks? If so, you need to go to thesandersonsisters.com right now and your favorite Halloween movie is going to be live on stage with drag queens. Uh, My good Judy, Nicole Hollowell, has been putting this on as a labor of love for a very long time, backed by overwhelming demand, two nights only in South Florida. It is a drag tribute. It is everything and more. Tickets are going fast Friday, October 29th and Saturday, October 30th. Get your spoop on, go to the sandersonsisters.com and all of that is going to be in the description. It is 21 plus, there's an alcohol bar, snacks, etc. pre-show, and there's gonna be an intermission as well. It'll be at the Lake Park Black Box Center for the Arts at Kelsey Theater, 700 Park Avenue, West Palm Beach, Florida. You cannot miss this show. I am telling you, Henny. All right, sandersonsisters.com, get your tickets now and get your spoop on. Mahalo. If you're new here, then you probably don't know this, or maybe you do. I love Disney and I love shopping small, shopping local, and I am an inclusive podcast, therefore I love inclusive brands. So that is why Diamond in the Rough Clothing Company, owned by my friend Mario, is such a great brand that I have to promote it unofficially official sponsor of this podcast. Mario has actually been on my podcast in season one. He is a great human and I love him to death. He is just such a sweet, sweet human who has the funniest, the best, the cutest, cheekiest designs for Disney. Diamond in the Rough Clothing Company is just such an awesome brand owned by such a lovely human. And when you're thinking about buying from Disney brands, shop local, shop small, and shop unique. Diamond in the Rough Clothing space. That's going to be in the description of my podcast. And as always, please let Mario know that you are shopping because I told you to. Thank you. This week's episode features Yayoi. Yayoi and I met through Linda Simpson, who has been a previous guest of mine, and she is awesome. She is an art lawyer, which is so cool. I, a path I wish I chose for myself. She's just a really fun human. I'm really excited to share this interview. I hope it brings a lot of insight, and I hope everyone has a great rest of the week. Um, just an FYI that I am basically getting towards the end of fielding interviews for the rest of the year, but I'm still open to opportunities. So feel free to email me. Just go to my website, please don't kick me out.com. I still have merchandise, please don't kick me out.com slash shop. And just an FYI, I'm going to be traveling. So uh, I won't be available by email as quickly as I have been. So if I don't get back to you, just know that I am out living my best life. And we still have sponsors. We have Diamond in the Rough Clothing, which is offering 15% off, as well as Dash of Pep. And those codes at checkout are going to be PDKMO. Mahalo. Hey, how's it going? 
Hi, Bianca. How are you doing? It's great to hear your voice. I'm, I'm doing amazing, especially because I've been looking forward to having this conversation like since I woke up this morning and I'm so excited to my listeners. Of course, this is season two of Please Don't Kick Me Out, the podcast, the only inclusive podcast about imposter syndrome. And I am joined today by the lovely Yoi Shinori. Oh my gosh, I butchered it. And I, ah, but anyway, um, I'm just really excited. So uh, I'm going to just give you the floor of who you are, what you do, et cetera. Thanks so much, Bianca. And hey, everybody, for those of you who are listening out there, I am so excited. I guess that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I'm very excited to be talking openly about the idea of imposter syndrome. I think about it a lot and I look forward to unpacking it further with, with you, Bianca, and with those of you who are kindly listening. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the intro, Bianca. My name is Yayoi. I have the honor of being an art lawyer. What does that mean? It essentially means that I get to practice law in the fine art world. Um, I wanted to be an art lawyer. I wanted to practice at the intersection of art and the law when I went to law school many, many decades ago, and it just took me a very long time to get here. Uh, what do I get to do? I currently serve as the executive director of the Chris Burden Estate. Chris Burden is a American artist. Uh, his dates are 1946 to 2015. He was a socio-political artist, as well as somebody who worked in large site-specific installation. I also get to work with the studio of Nancy Rubens. Nancy Rubens is also an American artist. She is a sculptor and she's currently still with us and making work. And I get to do a bit of business work, a bit of legal work, all in the name of supporting artists, which is a great joy and honor. I absolutely adore that. And so uh, for my listeners, if you're, or if you're coming here because of my guest this week, um, welcome. And uh, this is, of course, a safe space to share the idea and the feeling of imposter syndrome. And I myself was an art major originally in college. Um, Gosh, now that's been like a decade plus ago. Uh, but I ended up uh, switching my major, um, but my love of creativity and the art world has always remained. And so I absolutely love what you do. And I think it's beautiful that you've finally been able to come into your passion. Um, and I think that you do something really beautiful in this world. So I'm so excited to have you. Thanks so much for that, Bianca. And I think sort of the interesting thing though is the idea that I do feel very lucky that I've been able to translate my passion into a paid job. Um, I, I've, I've worked hard for it, but I also think it is a very big joy and honor to be able to do so. But at the same time, there's always the sense of whether or not I'm doing enough mm -hmm. or whether or not um, I'm good enough. And I think maybe that kind of leads directly into this idea of what imposter syndrome is and sort of how, how, I, how, how I feel about it and how I try to process it in my day to day. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, and we'll get into that, of course. I always said, um, you know, there's, there's, there's no secrets here. I always do send in prompt questions um, beforehand, but, uh, you know, sometimes my guests fill them out and other times they don't, but it's a free flowing conversation about this idea of authenticity and um, how we kind of come into our own. And over the last year, since doing this podcast, I've found some things to be res resoundingly true um, over time. So I'm excited to get your take on it. But before we even hop into that, um, I would like to talk about how you and I actually met 
which is through Linda Simpson, who is a prolific drag queen from New York, um, who hosts this virtual bingo. Um, and it is absolutely incredible. Um, my friend, DJ Rockstar Aaron, who hosts Forbidden Bingo, who is the unofficial slash official sponsor of my podcast, Running Joke, um, every Thursday, uh, actually introduced me to Linda's bingo. And then I realized that Linda actually um, is just quite an incredible entertainer that I was not on my radar. And I kind of was piecing things together because when I was in New York City, I was, I, I was really excited to see the Limelight Club. I've always been interested in the club kids and club kid culture and just the true art form of this feeling of not fitting in and then like, you know, dressing expressively to um, be who you are and saying like, this is me. And, you know, as a child growing up in the 90s, seeing them like seeing club kids on Ricky Lake and, and whatnot, like that was something very inspiring to me. And it, so a lot of, a lot of my, um, love and adoration for uh, drag and music and all of that is shrouded completely in the idea of creativity and being oneself. So you happen to be playing the last bingo, which was in August and that was August, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you happen to win a prize and it was just, I, I just loved your energy. I really appreciated it. Linda um, actually was a podcast guest as well as Rockstar Aaron's been a podcast guest as well. He's a dear friend of mine. I've known since I was in my twenties at this point and um, now I'm in my thirties, but I'm, I've just recently moved to Oahu. And when I moved to the Island, I kind of realized that there are so many local Kamina make, which means local, um, makers here on Oahu. And as I was thinking about my podcast and like kind of how it's evolved over time, where it started out with just talking about imposter syndrome, it's it's just evolved into so much more because you you kind of hit the nail on the head with it just being such a um, a human emotion. Um, and it, it does kind of impact everyone. I think I've only met a couple of people who have said it hasn't impacted them in some way, shape or form. So it's an, going to be an exciting conversation. And even before we pressed record, we realized we have so many things in common. So I'm just very blessed to have you. And I'm starting my week at the time of recording. This is a Monday. So I'm starting my week with a really great conversation. So I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much for that, Bianca. And it was great to sense your energy um, at that bingo. Um, I have had the pleasure of knowing, knowing, I guess knowing is a weird word. Um, I had the pleasure of being a fan of Linda Simpson for many, many years. So as you, as, as I'm sure Linda probably spoke about, um, she is, as you know, a sort of a legend um, in the New York City I, I guess, New York City um, subcultural, cultural world. And um, I recall when I was much younger, I used to go to Linda's in real life bingo sessions. And this was even before there was a term like in real life, right? And so she used to run these wonderful bingo sessions at Le Poisson Rouge, which is this dive bar um, in New York City. And just, she was just such a phenomenal entertainer. Um, but there, there came a time in my life when I stopped going to those things. And then during the pandemic, I found out that she was trying to run these Zoom bingo nights. And um, I don't know how the pandemic was for you, Bianca. I do know that it was difficult for everybody in different ways. But I have to say that Linda's drag queen bingo nights on Zoom were some of the most humanistic, fun, warm ways to keep up human connection 
during the pandemic. And I would say it's probably one of the most successful ways to use Zoom. Um, and, and we loved it. So yeah. we went almost every weekend during the pandemic, we showed up to Zoom Bingo with Linda. And it was filled with people from all walks of life, not just people from New York, people from all over different genders, different age groups. I mean, that's actually something that Le Poisson Rouge never had. We didn't have young little people running around doing bingo with us or older people as well. And so it, it kind of felt like sort of a huge swath of America joining Linda and just kind of celebrating and being in community with each other. And so I am so very grateful that Linda has kept this up for our community and also grateful that Linda really indirectly brought you, Bianca, and me together. Yeah, absolutely. So my background with like virtual stuff, um, uh, so like uh, kind of as you mentioned, like everyone's gone through this pandemic differently, but we all have this common thread of it being difficult in different ways, but we're all experiencing it. Now, what, whatever way we decide to fall on the coin, whether we care about others more than ourselves and that kind of thing. I always have this saying that if we don't come out of this better than we went into it, then what are we doing? And so I have a really close friend um, that I, uh, I have the Peloton bike. The only time I've been to New York City is through Peloton. I went to the studio in 2019. In fact, yesterday was, yesterday, as of yesterday, two years ago, I bought, my husband and I purchased our first home in San Diego. We still own it. And I had flown into the studio and the mothership, so to speak. And I met my favorite instructor, which is Cody Rigsby. And I went on this trip with one of my friends, Casey. And um, I'm in this group called the 5AM crew. And she is a senior nurse practitioner out in LA and she, I've just been friends with her for going on three years now. I've had the bike for just over three years. So, um, I took that trip in September. I almost didn't, but my husband was like, you should go, you should go on it. Like, you know, you should just do it. So I did. And, um, you know, the pandemic kind of hit, there was some health. My, my sister got very, very ill. I had to fly out. My job was kind of, my career was kind of feeling like it was a, at a dovetail. And, um, around the pandemic time, and my husband was getting ready to deploy. So around the pandemic time, I realized that I wasn't really receiving my worth in my career and my job. I was marketing director and I asked for my worth and my uh, boss at first had said yes. And then he retracted it and ended up laying me off. And then the pandemic hit. So mm -hmm. that's what sparked me to start this podcast. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of noticed when all this happened, like, well, people came out of the woodworks to kind of support and help me. And Casey was one of those people. And she'd been doing Charlie Hydes from season nine of RuPaul's Drag Race Bingo forever. And around August of last year was her birthday and she was doing a private thing. And I never knew she was doing this every Sunday. I have no idea. And Charlie, similar to Linda, took it online. Um, you know, prolific performers in their, in their talent and, you know, basically going from just a UK audience for Charlie to then a United States audience. And um, actually at the time of recording this yesterday was a reunion. We used to do it every weekend and now it was a reunion. And mm -hmm. so after the private party with her, I started going every week. And then my husband for our anniversary purchased a private event so that I could have my friends celebrate our anniversary since he was out to sea deployed. So mm -hmm. as of tomorrow, that was a year ago today that I dropped him off 
and then he was getting ready to deploy. So it was like a really interesting and strange year where these virtual things really got me through. Like I was starting to, I counted the weeks that would go by based on the Sundays and the themes and I looked forward to it. Sure. Now, um, unfortunately, after last night, I, I think I'm going to probably table Charlie's. It's just it's just that it's too many things um, virtually where I'm trying to now be more in person. And as of today on Oahu and the state of Hawaii, vaccinations are required for any retail and dining experience and or a negative COVID test for up to I think 48 hours beforehand. So the world is changing a lot yeah. and there's so much anger I'm feeling on on the mainland as I'm sitting back and watching. Um, but these virtual events, like you said, with Linda, create these communities where I wouldn't have otherwise met some of these people. So how Linda and Aaron and all of this come into play is that I, um, so I was playing this for a number of years and then I kept getting served, like I was playing this for months and months and months. And I started getting served these ads for this show called Caption That. Mm-hmm. And then one of the bingo bunch players from Charlie's started talking about forbidden bingo. And I joined it, not realizing that it was Aaron's bingo. And I hadn't talked to Aaron or ran into Aaron since I moved from Denver at that point, two years ago. And so I started going to that and I started going to that around the time my husband was coming back from deployment, we were getting ready to move to Oahu. And that same ad stream that I was getting served for forbidden bingo and captioned that with Nicole Hollowell out of South Florida, um, ended up giving me two of my best friends in the whole wide world that I haven't met personally yet, Trish and Matt and Matt's partner, Byron. So the three of them, and they Mm -hmm. played Linda's bingo the first time when Aaron asked us if we wouldn't mind playing. So that's kind of how I came into the mix with it. And um, I'm grateful for it because I think there was a time last summer when everyone was kind of just tabling it and they were going and they were kind of, you know, throwing, you know, caution to the wind and not being as safe and, and, and as careful as, as, as I was being, because um, I was under different restrictions with my husband being in the military, getting ready to deploy and mm. under no circumstances did they want COVID. So we had this thing called page two or sorry, page, page 13 or something, um, which like basically my husband could be penalized should he have brought COVID in. So I, I was doing these virtual things just to get by. Sure. So, so I think for me, this podcast, as well as all of these virtual things have given me so much more Mm -hmm. self-confidence and just given me so many more beautiful people in my life. Like I would, I would have never met you without it. And I think that that's something so beautiful. That is true. And I I think I have to say, you know, like I do, obviously I, I miss all of the in real life contact and the sort of the serendipitous running into or sort of meeting different people. But at the same time, I do think particularly with respect to Linda's bingo nights, it has really allowed me to meet people from all walks of life. And I think part of the thing that happens as an adult, like I'm so in the art world that I think most of my work and my life is centered around artists and art, museum people, arts workers, gallerists, you know, auction house people. It's really sort of people who are in the art world that I both am friends with, but I also work with. Um, but but the, the bingo nights have really allowed me to sort of, as an adult, meet people from other parts mm-hmm. of the world, yeah. not just regionally, but other industries, other jobs, other types of people. And it's it's been um, in some ways, and I think you're sort of pointing to, to the fact that it's this very heartening, humane thing mm-hmm. to attempt to make real connection between people digitally. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, with respect to my friends, Matt and Trish, like I will be, so my, my, unfortunately my, um, Matt's mother-in-law passed away. Um, actually she went into the hospital on a different reunion of a bingo and then passed away, um, about a week later. And it was very sudden. It was very, um, hard, but, we had this really amazing memory of playing Linda's bingo together, right? So Matt and be drip is Matt, my friend, my friend Matt. Um, that's his, his drag persona. And um, Eve's dying wish was for Matt to create a drag room. Well, I had a trip on the books to go to Canada because I do have all my vaccines and they live in Canada. And I've never been to Canada, but my husband knew how important it was to me to meet Matt and Byron because I, I mean, they got me, like we would talk on the phone all the time and, and we still do like, um, I'm in a chat, <laughs> a group chat with all of them and, 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 you know, they mean so much to me. And so it, but like, again, this would have, I would have never have met Matt or Byron. I would have never reconnected with Rockstar. I would have never met Linda. I would have never met you. And I think that that's this beautiful thing. So I think we're also going to be in the future kind of looking at what side of the coin did you fall on in the pandemic? Did you, did you do something beautiful? Did you contribute or did you sit there and, and, you know, be upset? And for me, the, the content creation and, and then doing this podcast has been so cathartic because it, it's allowed me the freedom to decide what it is in my career I want to do next, what, what I can do to bring value. Because I think, uh, for, for me, it's been difficult to, to think about going back into an office, kind of knowing what I know now and knowing who I am. And that lends completely into imposter syndrome. And then also something that you touched on, I'm a military spouse. So a lot of my friendships when my husband was on a sea duty command, which was this last one, and now he's sure because he's getting ready to retire um, in a couple of years, I, I found that if people weren't in my military community, not knowing what I was going through, they couldn't really relate to me. And so mm. moving to Hawaii has been cathartic because now I can have more, so, so to speak, civilian friends. And I don't have this looming, having to wear the hat of the person that's you know volunteering on this thing. And I can kind of reintegrate back into society again. And it's not all about the Navy and how the Navy has disrespected me or whatever. And even, even through it, I've met, I've met some beautiful spouse content creators some spouse artists, um, and, um, just learned so much. So I, I, I really do as, as bad as it's been, and I've never experienced so much loss in my life in the last couple of years, but I've also found that, the communities and connections that we've really thrown ourselves into have been so supportive because now it's like I have outlets for when I don't want to be the performative spouse anymore, or I don't want to be the podcaster. I can just kind of, you know, turn on RuPaul's Drag Race or go, go join Linda's Bingo or play Forbidden Bingo and, and just kind of unwind and meet people, like you said, all over the world. So I love this and I'm really excited to talk about imposter syndrome. So I do have one brand question, so we'll just hop into it. And uh, it's just because resoundingly over time, I have found that there is this, this ain't always answered the same. So do you feel like you have it all figured out? Uh, never. <laughs> and I, but I also think that, that for me, um, both culturally and for my career and my desire to grow, 
I think humility is very important. Mm -hmm. And so that, and, and I, and I tie, and I chalk it up to that, that like, you know, do I think I have it figured out? No. And in fact, if I thought I did, I think something would be wrong with me. And, and some of this comes from the fact that I think lawyering, lawyering, I think for me, or at least my brand of lawyering is about helping people identify what their problems are and attempting to help them find potential solutions to them. And so obviously it requires, you know, things like lots of reading, lots of writing, you know, writing clear emails, writing clear contracts, all that kind of stuff. That, that's a given. But I think for at least for me, what, what I think I particularly try to do perhaps differently than other lawyers is to really try to help the person who's in front of me try to figure out what they need, what their yeah. needs are and how to achieve them. And so I actually think of lawyering um, as more like a form of mentalism almost. It's almost kind of like you want to really hear that person out and, and help them figure out what they need, read, read, their, read their gut, read what they, 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 their needs are and their concerns, some of which are sometimes not even evident or self-evident or self-aware. Um, and, and so um, that also requires me always to be on my toes because I never know what's going to be served up in front of me, which is also why I'm very open and honest. And I say that I don't think I've ever figured everything out. I mean, over time, of course, I've been doing this for about 20 years. So there's a lot of things that I see constantly. There are a lot of things that there are a lot of problems and issues that come up more regularly, um, but there's always things I don't know. And the ability and the courage to be able to say, I don't know this, but I'm gonna try to figure it out, I think is very important, not just in my career, but also in life. Yeah, I love that answer because uh, for me, um, <clears throat> I kind of fell into marketing in my career. It was never really what I truly wanted to do, but I it just kind of, kind of my career kind of went that way. And towards, um, you know, when I finally made it to the top, top as a marketing director and, and was, you know, handling all these things. And e even, even then I still was like, I don't know, you know, but something powerful that I learned over time, because I think like when you're younger, there's an arrogance in kind of thinking, you know, everything and not wanting to be seen as someone that doesn't have the answers. And so for me, or at least for me, and some people I've interviewed over time have kind of said the same thing where um, it, it was, it was not your, you know, not my fault to be ignorant to these things, but just realizing I could say no, or I don't know the answer or not like knee jerk reacting um, was something I had to learn over time. And, and kind of, as I, as I did, I, a lot of it came from working on clients, like client side, um, and then um, working product side where I was in charge of the product itself. Um, you kind of have way more empathy for what it is the person wants, kind of similar to having your clients, right? So my husband is in the military and um, he is in the Navy and he's uh, he's in what they would call a Mustang. So that means that he commissioned um, after serving. So he was in for eight years and then he picked up a commission and now he's a, he's now a lieutenant, um, mm -hmm. but he, you know, he's kind of, his career has kind of grown. So Mustangs, why they're called Mustangs is because the idea that the spirit cannot be broken, just like a 
wild horse. <laughs> Silly, but that's the that's the military term. And um, something that he has, which I've always appreciated about him, is that he views like you view your clients as you want to problem solve, but you also want to stay on your toes. He views the sailors the same way, and so that perspective shift made me realize that like my you know my dad's a very good leader and engineer world and I kind of learned from him kind of what my management style is and and even how I I market myself or my podcast or the kind of, you know the company I keep I, I think about that a lot of kind of you know we don't always have all the answers and it's okay to not have it figured out but I never had someone answer it and say yes because I think if you had the key to life then you'd just be bored at that point because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're done you know like yeah. it's like your journey's over kind of thing yeah I know. I'm like, I, I think even on my deathbed, like I would probably still like be like, oh man, like <laughs> there's so many things, there's so many things that I, I didn't know that I was, that I, that I could have learned or whatever. But um, I love that this question, because of course it then lends into imposter syndrome. So I'll just ask it. And it's a multi-part question. Um, but do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome in what ways? And what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Yeah, thanks so much for that, Bianca. And thanks again also for your openness here and for engendering this environment where you're allowing me to be open back. Um, I feel imposter syndrome all the time. And I, but but I have come to be uh, comfortable enough about it so that I can tell other people that I feel that way. Yeah. And Part of that, I think, does come, and it's reflecting a little bit in response to what you were saying about sort of youth and growth and and years of experience. I think it's only with years of experience that I have now come to be comfortable enough or confident enough that I can say, you know, I'm not sure I know that, or I've never experienced that, or I feel, uh, I feel currently that I feel a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, and, And and I guess it's it's sort of like this age thing and this experience, these layers of experience that have made me feel confident enough to admit it. Now, I think in the art law world, um, the world of art law is very small. And maybe even 10 years ago, it, there were fewer role models than there are now, meaning that it's in some ways a very specialized part of the legal industry. There aren't that many of us. There aren't that many jobs. And it's still a growing field. Uh, And and so I think when I was coming up in the world, it was hard to find role models, hard to find mentors. But 10, 10 years, it's now been about 10 years that I've sort of seen that my peer cohort has grown together with me. And why I sort of say all of this is because when I was growing up in the art law world, wanting to become an art lawyer, getting my art law jobs and trying to figure it out, it's almost like I had no time or mind space to figure out whether or not I had imposter syndrome or I was feeling it because all I could do was hustle for it and go through my job and trying to figure it out and trying to get through my day to day. And it's only now that I can take a step back and now more and more people 
younger people are saying, hey, I want to be an art lawyer. How do I become an art lawyer? Or how did you get your first couple of jobs? How do I do this? How do I become an art lawyer? I get asked these questions quite often now. And it's only now that I realize as this next generation is coming up and is excited to enter the world of art law, that I can openly say there are times when I feel like I shouldn't be where I am, that I, I don't know how I actually got here. I, I worked really, really hard for two decades, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I've helped to create this um, easily followable path to become an art lawyer. And so that's kind of where I think for me, my imposter syndrome comes in, especially when I get asked, you know, how do I become an art lawyer? How do I, how do I do jobs like the way you do? And then I, I honestly sometimes don't have an answer. I love that answer um, and how you've kind of explained it, because I can think a lot about my own experience of, um, you know, either interns I managed over time or employee employees, employers, that kind of stuff. And when people ask that, um, you know, it, it is difficult to, to speak to that. It is difficult because I think back and I think, well, I had to struggle. Like I had to take the jobs that I didn't want to take and I had to do the things I didn't want to do. And it's not, it's, I think, um, are the younger generation is kind of used to this instant gratification but unfortunately like you know when I was starting out you interned for free you interned for free and then maybe pay me like you, you took you took these jobs I mean I, I did I I wasn't shy I took a, a bunch of jobs I I used to feel really embarrassed that I kind of career hopped but the only reason why I had to do that was because I needed health care and a livable wage and I wanted to pay my bills and, and so the, the, the struggle, unfortunately, it cannot be taught. It has to be learned. And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a place of strength to be able to say, you know, like I, you know, it wasn't always easy. Um, and, and also it's okay to not have an answer for those people because I've also found that a lot of times, so mental health, for instance, is huge for me. Um, I just recently started new medication, um, which uh, I, last year I was diagnosed officially with ADHD. Um, which has been really helpful for me because a lot of time women aren't diagnosed until later in life. So I was 30 at the time and now I'm 30, I was about to turn 31 and now I'm 32. And um, I started therapy because I finally had time to, to, to well, I've, I've done therapy in the past, but I finally had time to just commit to it because I knew that I was going to need to kind of unpack a lot of things. And I, I needed that outlet. And I, I was so resistant to a lot of that stuff, um, you know, in the past, like resistant. And I used to feel kind of like, um, kind of like, uh, the, I don't know if you watch BoJack Horseman, but there's Vincent adult man who's like three children in a trench coat. And I tend to be, I tended to feel kind of like, hello, fellow adult, and not really like an adult, even though I had adult things like uh, a mortgage and a house and a career and and uh, I, I didn't really know how to do a lot of things until uh, I was kind of forced to do them and mm -hmm. unfortunately sometimes people you know, they, they think it's an easy solution to get where you're going because you see someone and you see like how amazing um you know they're they are or, or what you would strive to be and you look at that and you start to compare yourself and you realize I think I think it's um, naive to think that even people who are you know very successful in someone's eyes might never have struggled. I think that's a naive thought. I mean, we all kind of nothing happens by chance. I think it all has to happen by doing. And I've learned with my mental health in particular that people want me to diagnose them, and I'm not a doctor. I can't. 
I can't tell you you have ADHD. I can't tell you you have depression because I'm on an SSRI and as well as, um, as well as a stimulant for my medication, for my medications. And those are recent. I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not able to give anyone opinions or, or whatever. I always say this podcast is just a, it's a self-help. It's not, it's not anything medical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, interesting that the people who tend to ask these questions are not willing to really do the work themselves, or if they are, they didn't need to have to ask you that question. Yeah. So, so thanks for that response, Bianca. And also thank you for sharing your path and your journey regarding your mental health. Um, your openness is, is so courageous and I'm sure it is so heartening for those of us listening in on our podcast to hear your journey. And I think sort of you're totally right about sort of like, you know, young people saying, oh, I, I want to be like Bianca or I want to be like Yayoi. How do you do that? Or Linda, I want to be like Linda. How do I become a Linda? And I think um, I want to both give constructive advice, but also be very real that particularly at least in a niche area of law, like art law, it's really hard partially because there's just not a lot of job opportunities. I've really had to make my own opportunities. And that's not to say other people can't do it too. Of course, I want people to do it. And I think it's, it's super exciting that there's such a big next generation of people who are interested in becoming art lawyers. And so I wanna both engender and also um, set people up for success um, but at the same time, just be very real that yeah. that's, that it, that it's not the easiest thing at all. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that response as well, because it, you made me kind of think about how when I was starting out in my career and I had like bright eyes and, you know, bushy tailed and everything and was so excited about like the world. <laughs> I had some people, mentors, uh, I mean, mentors is a loose term, but I had some people in my, in my, you know, world that heard my dreams and kind of dream killed them a little bit. <laughs> Not that I knew what they were. I mean, it's no, but like, think about they it. Were like, tam- they were tampering. Right, your, like where your, they're, yeah, <laughs> where they give you the reality that like, you just like, you're like, wow, okay. So this is, this is it. This is all I can strive for. Cool. But so, so I've always thought about that. And as I've kind of grown in my career and myself and my personal journey and my mental health and all of that of, of kind of, you know, I won't sugarcoat it, but I also don't ever want to scare anyone away from trying. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so I, I, I love that answer and that response. And I think, I think it's beautiful that there's so much more um, drive and pull towards art law because there's so much um, that can be done for it. And I mean, I personally always, my favorite class I ever took in college was art history one because I switched semesters. I switched art major to uh, journalism right after that because I was a newspaper editor all through high school. And when you said like, you know, you appreciated me being vulnerable with mental health, uh, you know, shout out to Justina, who is my therapist that I had the last year who can no longer care for me, Justina. Healthy Minds California, she probably has an opening because I'm now overseas. She, um, vulnerability has been so hard for me and being transparent and Mm. vulnerable has been really difficult. And so it's only been something I've been able to kind of be in the last like couple of months. I've really, really worked hard on being kinder to myself and being kinder and like kind of accepting the journey and the process and kind of what that means. And I've also been really strict on boundaries. Um, Like I took a whole summer off of podcasting and 
I, I really wanted to rework what I wanted to do with this because at the rate it was going before I put a stop to some interviews while I was moving, I was going to burn out. And I didn't want to do that because I know I have a voice and so do my guests. And I always say that everyone has a really beautiful and inclusive story that I want to share. But I, at the rate it was going, I was starting to just lose my luster with it. And so, um, yeah, like people will kind of, I have had people say to me, like, I want to be you. And I'm like, ah, do you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty weird. No, but it's, it's, it's very, it's very much a compliment, but it's also a double-edged sword at times because I, I, I don't want anyone to have to struggle in the way I, I always took any of my failures as learning opportunities, but not everyone can do that. And so, so I, I would say that the journey to get where I am now it's it's been a journey so I, I just appreciate that we both kind of have that, that same viewpoint on that so I want to segue into the next question which is um, one of my favorites one of my signature questions uh, which is about success um, and I love that everyone has a different answer for it and I think even in asking this question over the last year plus I have changed my answer over time of what success looks like to me so what does success look like to you and do you feel successful yeah thanks for that and, and I actually don't know if I have an answer, like a, like a two sentence answer about success. Um, success to me is knowing that every day I'm trying to bring my best self to work and that I'm also bringing my best brain and my best openness um, to my day-to-day -day job which my day-to-day -day job, again, is working for an artist estate, so Chris Burden, who's no longer with us. So in fact, I have a, a, a boss who doesn't exist, but to think about how best to steward his legacy and how best to steward his art historical relevance and keep him relevant um, in sort of the, the context of art history. Um, and also to work with Nancy Rubens, who's thankfully still with us and creating work and how do I support her so that she can focus on her artistic practice rather than, for example, doing lots of emails. And so for me, success is a day-to-day -day thing. It's a, it's a thing that is built uh, it is it is built on um, both my commitment to the work, but also to my team also like my commitment to my team does is my team bringing their best selves to work. Um, and are we supporting each other as a work family and every single day that we go through ups and downs together just builds upon that history her story their story our story and so I think. Uh, success is cumulative for me. Um, but that doesn't also mean that, you know, day to day, sometimes I feel like some days are better than others. Obviously, a lot of times some of these days are filled with challenges or difficult conversations or contentious conversations or things that keep me up at night, of course. But it is sort of, I try to keep a big picture feeling about success. Now, do I feel successful? That's a really separate I think, <laughs> question. Um, I, I am very proud that I have a job um, that I love and I feel passionate about. I also am very proud that I can support my mom and dad. I support them emotionally and financially. And as a um, only child um, daughter of Japanese immigrants, that makes me very proud that I can do that. So I think there is a certain amount of success or, or feelings of sort of um, success that comes from that. Um, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I expect people think I'm successful or that I, in fact, I am successful. 
I love so many aspects of, of that answer. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. First of all, I, growing up white and in a different kind of family upbringing. And before we press record, I kind of talked about how I was born in Rochester, Minnesota, and, um, you know, kind of had a different thing. I've always had such an appreciation for, um, multiculturalism and uh, different cultures, because I grew up with a lot of Japanese influence, a lot of German influence, and a lot of um, uh, British influence because of people, because my dad worked at IBM, so like there was a huge IBM campus, and that's why I was born in Minnesota, and then mm -hmm. also there was the Mayo Clinic, which was um, actually where I was born. My mom was very proud of, proud of that, two Mayo babies, my sister and I, mm -hmm. so I, I, I grew up with so much culture in the classroom like in minnesota like there's so much scandinavian culture there's so much um uh you know all this culture that i was learning and then i moved to colorado and it was so different um so i have a lot of friends that are um uh asian american um with you know different nationalities and descents um some first generation some second and resoundingly the way that a lot of my asian friends feel about their family and providing um, is something I so deeply respect um, because I, I I think it's just so beautiful that like the culture is set up in a way to um, you know give back um, and I I don't know I I just like that a lot because um, you know my parents as they get older they've always said like just put us in a home we don't want you to, we don't need a burden which for me is like heroin relief to be honest but <laughs> but but also my husband's um, half Jewish and coming from a from you know, California, um, uh, Southern California. And so like his family dynamic is different, but also like, um, you know, he, he, he's been on his own since he was 18. Mm -hmm. And so like for us, like our family unit is really all we care about. Um, so it's been interesting to kind of have two different family structures and whatever, but I think that's really cool that, <clears throat> that you are their only daughter, you are doing something profound which is really cool and you're able to provide. And I, I, I think like, I've never really gotten the answer from the success question. Um, and I'll touch on what you said about your career as well, which I, I think is um, really cool kind of how you're carrying on a legacy. And like, that's really awesome because I, up until this point, didn't know who Chris or Nancy were. And I did a quick Google and then I was like, oh, that's a rabbit hole for later. <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking at these art, some art on my screen right now and I, I it's definitely my kind of style so I'm really grateful that I can connect with that kind of art and I'm glad that you're doing something with the legacy um it's just I think the answer I've only ever gotten a few materialistic answers where someone's been like oh it's like podcast listens or it's uh Louis Vuitton purses or whatever um and mostly the resounding answer that I at least at least jives with me is this feeling of gratitude putting your best foot forward, feeling authentic, which was a lot of your answer. And then also just being grateful for what we have mm -hmm. and, and what we can provide. So I love that. I mean, it also kind of probably says more about you, Bianca, and the type of people that you're asking to be on the podcast, I think yes. as well, because, and, but you know, there are no judgments, right? Like if somebody's like, 
I want to make a lot of money because that makes me feel comfortable or like I, I want to have a lot of purses because I love purses. Like there's no judgments. I, I, you know, part of it for me is like, that's okay too. Like if somebody is going to be so um, open and honest that they're like, this is how I measure success and I'm going to just go for it. I mean, I actually think that actually is a little bit ballsy too, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with that, that was just one example of an answer, but she, she kind of, um, her answer was kind of multifaceted about like being able to be, she felt successful because she was able to afford the things that she wanted and, and by way of that. So you actually hit the nail on the head. Um, but I don't believe that anyone's answer for success is, is, is wrong by any means, because I think like when we share a safe space and when I say I'm an inclusive podcast and I really tried to be as inclusive as absolutely possible. Um, I, I have a theory that there's no boring story. It's all about how we spin it. And, you know, I make a joke that I'm like, no more life coaches, but truly like to go back to like, if I hadn't retooled the podcast to do what I was speaking to my heart, which is of course, sharing creators and creators and and unique stories and concepts and sharing people's ideas with the world, then I would be remiss. So I'm glad that I was able to take the summer to kind of think about, well, what's next? How can I best support people? How can I best bring value to the table? How can I make someone feel less alone? Mm-hmm. Because that's been the resounding um, feedback I've gotten was like, I didn't know what this feeling was and now I know it's normal and I'm okay. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, great, <laughs> awesome roadmap. So I, I love that. And I, and I think it's a beautiful question, uh, of course, to ask in one of my signature trademark questions. So I think we have address the elephant in the room. So we'll say sashay away to imposter syndrome, Shantae, you stay. Mm-hmm. And I love talking about fanaticals. Um, so what is one or a few things you're fanatical about and why? Yes, thanks for that. Um, I, and this is kind of, I guess in some ways it's really highly related to my, my job, right? Because I love being in the art world. I feel honored to get to hang out with artists, get to know them better, get to know their artistic practice. Um, I love being an art worker uh, and I feel honored to be able to do it all the time. And so for me, I'm one of those people that work and life are in fact for better or for worse fully integrated. Um, and, And Uh, Every single free moment I have, I want to read about art, I want to go see art in real life, or I want to experience talking to an artist, or I want to sort of figure out how institutions, how museums work. Uh, And so I am fanatical about art. Um, I think it's pretty obvious if one looks at my Instagram feed, I think it's pretty obvious that all I really care about is art and I love (laughs) it so much. And the reason why, though, I love it is because I like to believe that art is not necessary um, to survival, but it really does help us remind us what makes us human. And I also believe that um, art helps us feel, look and learn, and maybe even help us learn more about ourselves. I I mean, of course, you know, sometimes people feel like they need to read up on it or learn about our history to better understand contemporary art. I think all of that is in some ways true, but at the same time, I think, Art is something that, that people should be able to able to look at and, and feel whatever they want to feel. And so I am fanatic about art. And I think it's pretty obvious that that is the case. Yeah, I love that. Um, I also am very fanatical about art. And um, there is an artist that uh, her name is uh, Deborah Butterfield. 
Um, and one of her pieces, when I was uh, in fifth grade, we went to the Denver Art Museum um, and I saw one of her driftwood cast Horse, horses, right? They, yes. She does horses. Yes. Yeah. And yep. then when they open and then and then, of course, you know, they put that in the collection and, and they put it sealed it away. Um, and then when they made the art hotel in Denver, because I lived in Denver for nine years post uh, post college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they put it right front and center, um, right by the bar. Uh, awesome. and I would walk past it. I would go on dates there, you know, I'm dating in my twenties, I'll go on dates there and stuff. And I just always loved this piece of art and it's always stuck with me as one of my favorite pieces. And it really spoke, speaks to me in a lot of ways. Um, and I had to just verify it was Deborah cause I couldn't remember the name of it, but, um, yeah, art when people tell me that they're not creative, I don't believe that mm. because I think that as like art is so it's like nebulous, like what can be considered art, like for some it's interior design for others, it's, uh, you know, architectural for others, it's landscape or, or, or what they see in the world. For some people, art is biological of what they are looking at. And um, there's just so many beautiful artists in the world that have done so many beautiful things. And so when I went back to Colorado in the end of 2019 um, to visit my sister and my, my mom and dad, I took my art history in one book with me mm, because nice. I, and my mom was like, that's a, like, that's so heavy. Like, why are you taking that? <laughs> Even my husband was like, do you need to keep this book when we're moving? And I was like, I, it is yes. the one book that I will never get rid of because I learned so much more about the history of the world through art than I did about from any other textbook at any other point. I had this amazing professor named Chip um, and uh, I, I had one of my really good friends, Serena, who I met in college, who actually um, was an art teacher for a bit and um, she's a watercolorist now. Mm -hmm. And she lives, you know, she lives in Crested Butte with her, with her partner and she's just happier than a clam. And we talked about that on her podcast episode about how much it meant to us in this book and like all the things. And it was just a beautiful walk down memory lane. But my husband, you know, my husband will tell me all the time, I can't draw. I'm not creative. I'm not this. I'm not that. And mm -hmm. I think like there's no one way to define art to go to your point, but there's just so much beauty in the world. And art is such a beautiful roadmap into kind of culture and society and feelings and emotions. And so I love that, that you're fanatical about it because I too am. And right now at the time of recording, the Met Gala is happening. It is. Happening. <laughs> and I'm excited. I, I can't wait to look at all the outfits. Um, um, yeah. Bianca, can I ask you, what does the Deborah Butterfield horse make you feel? Um, it's interesting that you ask that. Uh, it's, it's this, because I've seen it in person and, and the way that it stands in the museum, you can get so, or the hotel, you can get so close to it, right? So mm -hmm. the, the, when I was a kid, I remember being so big and me thinking like, well, I've never ridden a horse. I've always wanted to ride a horse. I've never ridden a horse. Man, that's a big, big sculpture. I've never seen a horse in person, <laughs> like mm. up until that point. And I was born in Minnesota, which is quite surprising that I hadn't seen a horse in person. Mm. And so I remember it being just big and majestic. And what I loved about it and the emotions that it evokes is because it is a brass casting of driftwood. And my mom 
uh, kept a piece of driftwood from Bodega Bay, where my parents are from Northern California. And every, so, so there's like a multifaceted nostalgic piece to it where I'm reminded of this driftwood that my mom has or like the conch shell she has and she, you know, the stories and the nostalgia. And that is what I feel when I see this is this powerful thing, um, this powerful, big sculpture that is so transformative by nature. So I've always loved that the Denver Art Museum has like ties into its Western culture mm -hmm. and also um, showcases art that evokes like that kind of emotion in me. Cause I don't, I, 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 there's very few other pieces that I can tell you, like that gave me that feeling of home and um, home and hope. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Bianca, for sharing that. And, and like, I, I just love, you know, this, this feeling that has stayed with you, right? This feeling yeah. of remembrance of home and, and it's sort of this visual reference to home. Um, it, that is a very personal feeling that you are having. And, and obviously that's why it stayed with you. And so I, I really appreciate you sharing. That's very beautiful. And yeah. that's, that's awesome. Absolutely. So this kind of blends in, as we've talked about fanaticals, unpopular opinions. So I guess like, I'll just say that I guess my unpopular opinion based on this conversation is everyone's creative. Mm. <laughs> and, no, and apparently that's not a thing. I, I used to make the, the joke that cantaloupe was trash. I never liked it. Well, I will, I ate my words uh, for the last year. I've told, I've told everyone I can't stand melon. It's a pillar fruit, but uh, ever since moving here and having ripe and actually fresh fruit, I realized that I was missing out <laughs> Cantaloupe's ah. not trash, um, ah. but I think everyone is creative. Um, and I think that being told that you're not or being put into STEM instead of art, like that can kind of really, really mess with someone's creativity. So I do believe that there's no time like the present to be creative. I, uh, th thanks for sharing that. And uh, thanks also for sharing that you used to think that cantaloupe is a filler fruit. <laughs> but that it only took you leaving the mainland and being an island person to realize that what you were probably eating on the mainland was not real cantaloupe. And that what you're eating <laughs> right now is real cantaloupe, which is why it's not filler fruit. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I have not at all a pithy, um, a, a not very popular sentiment, but I feel very strongly about it. And so I'm going to share it um, with the caveat that I want to apologize to people who live there and apologize to an entire country. Um, I actually really dislike Paris. <laughs> And like, I, I always, I always get these like weird stares when I have this, I, I have this very visceral reaction against this otherwise beautiful, historic, incredibly amazing city that has great culture, great food, great people, great art, of course, right? Um, it, it's sort of this, the city of greats. And yet I, I almost feel like it's one of those cities that has the scaffolding of greatness around it, that when you get there, it's a great city, but it's like not as great as I kind of had expected it would be. And I think that kind of like almost like peeling away of that veil, it's almost kind of like um, the Wizard of Oz a little bit or where it's kind of like you think the Wizard of Oz is like this extraordinary magician and kind of is superhuman and, and has so many powers. And yet you realize behind the scenes, it's just this ordinary person who maybe was feeling imposter syndrome actually, right? Paris to me kind of feels like that. And 
Um, so while I fully appreciate that many people love it, and as they should, everyone should have the right to their own opinions. Um, for, for me, there's something that's just not super exciting about Paris. And I apologize to the city. I also apologize to everybody who lives there, but that's how I feel. I am absolutely not offended because I actually would have, my, I've traveled to Europe with my family in the past and my parents, um, when I was, gosh, how old was I? I think I was like 13 or 14 wanted to go to Paris for their 25th wedding anniversary. Parents are still together. Um, they just celebrated 44 years. Um, so this was a while ago. And uh, my sister and I had like one hotel room and we were on the Outer Banks or I don't even remember what, they're, what it's called because it's been so long since I've been. And I've traveled a lot over Europe. I've, I've not made it. Um, my husband and I have goals to eventually, if it ever gets better, to start traveling to Asia. Um, and because I've, I've always wanted to go to Japan just never have had the opportunity to and, and some other stuff and like um you know with clearance and whatnot we always have to be cognizant of that plus you know it's a pandemic but Paris I remember being 13 and being like man like everyone's in love my hormones are going crazy and I was so excited to see the Louvre mm -hmm. I was so excited but I was overwhelmed by it because it's just you go in it's it's almost like it's almost like a city gives you imposter syndrome yeah and it's not it's not disrespectful or I'm not trying to, not to be disrespectful towards Paris because I do have a friend that actually at the time of recording this, she's flying, she's flying there right now to, to, to move back to the United States. She's getting proud of your stuff, but um, it was just funny enough because that's why I laughed because I was like, huh, how topical. Um, so I found that for me, like I was like, like with the, the fact that I had to think about it in my 13 year old, very much Drew Barry, more hopeless romantic brain of like one day I'll come here with my partner and it'll be great um well I'm married now and I my husband's been to Paris as well and he has no interest in really going back so I it's not a dig I do believe it's beautiful it's a beautiful city I think the culture is beautiful I think that all of the gifts it's given us over time are, are beautiful um but for me at 13 years old uh, I just couldn't handle it <laughs> couldn't handle it and and you know my parents had a lovely anniversary it was a great trip it's funny my sister and I were looking through photos that I happened to have and she was like send me those those are mine and I was like okay mm -hmm. um but I I do agree that there's this level of pedestal that seems to be put where everything's always compared to Paris and it kind of reminds me of Sex and the City right with when, when Carrie goes to Paris and then it's not what she thought it was and all she wants is New York yep so I think that's, I don't think it's, I mean, it's probably unpopular in the art world, but to me, it's not unpopular. And um, I'll have to go back as an adult now and figure it out, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So I'd love to ask this next question because this is a new question, a signature question of season two. And again, thank you so much as we're winding down for taking the time. This is just a beautiful and cathartic conversation, um, which I'm sure my listeners and your audience who's come here to listen will deeply enjoy. Um, so I just wanted to you know, express my gratitude towards this conversation. But um, now we get to be silly. What Muppet are you and why? Yes, thanks for that. And again, thank you again to you, Bianca, for opening up the space for us to have this conversation. And thanks to everybody who's listening in. Um, so uh, for me, I think I actually think I'm bigger. Um, but 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 I think I, I think I'm I am bigger, but I wish actually that I was one of those singing 
fuchsia cows in the video Menomina <laughs> because they are just fabulous. And like their, their sole purpose is to be fabulous backup dancers and singers. And they're just, they just are, you know, like the, the cows are just, they're just there and they're just there and they're enjoying themselves and they're having their signature song and they're having a good old time. So that's what I wish I were. I, I love that because I I love the answers I've been getting in just the few interviews that I've done so far with this question, because uh, how this question came to be was it was the best Facebook post I posted all summer because my husband and I got like a little debate about mm -hmm. puppets and did icebreaker date questions because my friend was um, asked, like she said, I always ask this question, but not, it wasn't Muppets related. And we just got to thinking. And so I just posted on Facebook and I said, what Muppet are you or why? And I got people that had one definitive answer. And then there's people like me who are, who I'm like, well, I'm like Sattler and Waldorf, Rising Sun, Miss Piggy, bloop, bloop, bloop. And so then I thought to add it to my, my, my questions because I thought it just really showcases the personality. For me, I also have some beaker energy. Um, <laughs> I and I would love- to say beaker energy? Yeah, yeah. oh, it's okay. so funny because my sister, I asked her this question too, and she was like, I think I'm beaker. I was like, you're absolutely beaker. And she's like, why, why do you think I'm beaker? <laughs> so um, the, the answers, um, so like just, the answers that people and how can they, they can relate because the Muppets are so human and so lovable and um, they all have unique things they bring to the table. So in watching The Great Muppet Caper a couple of weeks ago with my husband, uh, I realized he's probably Kermit. And then I'm like, oh God, am I Fozzy? I'm Fozzy. <laughs> What? You know, so it's just funny as, as kind of we've, it, the, the questions evolved um, and I love the answer. And with the cows and the anim and animals Manana video, um, I agree. I actually hadn't even thought about them uh, at all until you mentioned it. And then I was like, oh yeah, they, they are very confident. They're just there and they're, they're doing their there, thing. Right? They're no doing questions. their thing. Um, they, they obviously are a bit character, right? Because it's not like they come out on anything else except for that Menomina song. Um, but they seem to be having a lot of fun, which is sweet. <laughs> yes. And I think if Beaker could get out of Beaker's own way, which, because Professor Mellon helps to like kind of make Beaker's, like, I think, I think Professor Mellon makes Beaker even more anxious. Mm -hmm. But um, I also feel like they're a good dynamic. <laughs> and yeah, so like, I love that. <laughs> I, I do think Beaker also has, while they, Beaker has a fair amount of nervous anxiety and energy, like channeled in the right way, Beaker has his superpower too, right? So I kind of think, you know, that that's, that's just, that's okay too. Like there's a place for Beaker in the world too. Yeah, I love that. Although I, I don't know if I would have typecast you as Beaker, but I do love your answer. <laughs> and I love I love that this question always like makes people laugh. It brings people joy. So I'm really glad I added it in season two. So as we're winding down, and again, this has been such a great conversation. I'm leaving feeling uplifted and I feel rejuvenated. Um, and I'm just so grateful that you were even interested in coming on my little old podcast. But I love to give my guests the floor to promote whatever they would like. So what would you like to promote? Yeah, thanks so much for that, Bianca. Um, your podcast is not little. Um, your heart is very large. Uh, I really look forward to staying in touch online 
in the digiverse on Instagram, what have you. I really look forward um, to doing all of that. Um, one of the things that I did want to talk about is recently um, during the pandemic, a bunch of us Asian American arts workers published a um, compendium of writing. Uh, and the only thing that we had, the, the only sort of topic that we had was that we had to write a letter to some, to anybody, to anybody we wanted. And it's called Best. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and hold on a second. I'm actually going to read you the actual title of the book. Hold on. Sorry, I'm back. It's called Best Letters from Asian Americans in the Arts, and it's edited by my dear friends Chris Ho and Daisy Nam. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful snapshot of um, contemporary writing of Asian Americans who are doing really, really great work in the art world, but also sort of we're taking the time and mind space to write letters and sort of the epistolary format is just quite beautiful. Um, so I wanted to sort of shout out to Chris and Daisy and that book is available through a lovely um, press called Paper Monument. I love that. And of course, to my listeners, uh, this will all be in the description um, and how you can get in touch and all of that as always. Um, but again, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. It was beautiful. I'm excited. Actually, that sounds like a really interesting book. So I'm excited. So offline, please send me that link <laughs> because I, I, I think it sounds great and awesome. And, you know, I just want to extend my heartfelt thank you to Linda for connecting us. Thank you to Rockstar for bringing me to Linda, et cetera. But this is, of course, please don't kick me out, the only inclusive podcast about imposter syndrome. And if you're new here, um, you can like, rate, subscribe. Uh, that would be much appreciated. And if you love the 90s, like I do, I do have merchandise. You can go to please don't kick me slash shop live your 90s fantasy. Shout out to Lara, who's actually uh, my brand person and my my beautiful freelancer who was guest two on the podcast who I adore very much who made me a website because sometimes I'm 84 years old and I hope that your your my listeners your audience everyone gain something valuable from it so again thank you so much for this conversation and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week Thank you so much, Bianca. Thank you again to the audience listening in um, and hope everybody stays safe and healthy. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, can you rate us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on? For content creators like myself, that keeps us going. Also, did you know that I have merchandise? Thank you so much to Lara, who was my second guest ever on Please Don't Kick Me Out. She is a great person who did all of my branding. Live out your 90s fantasy. Go to pleasedon'tkickmeout.com slash shop. Thank you. Hey weirdos, I want to share something with you I've been doing for a couple of months now. It is called Forbidden Bingo with my friend, DJ Rockstar Aaron. We are both from Denver. Uh, great human. Something that they put on virtually out of the kindness of their heart every week. And I'm just going to start by saying it's 18 plus, just so you know. Um, 
but it's Forbidden Bingo. Forbidden Bingo is so much fun. You can play it in person if you live in Colorado or if it plays other places, or you can play it virtually online every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Wow, I'm bad at time zones. But you know what? Just go to ForbiddenBingo.com, grab your tickets, and tell DJ Rockstar Aaron and Rich and all the other people that are playing that I sent you. That's ForbiddenBingo.com and unofficially, officially sponsors this podcast. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. In this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter pdkmo at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.